Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati. And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question we commonly get asked as LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. We're not trying to answer this question or come to consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, how do I navigate the gay adolescence? And that's like, like a, not the gay youth, like adolescence, plural. C-E-S-C-E? Yeah, yeah. I'm only good at spelling. Because we're not like talking about like how to get through a bunch of young gays. <laughs> like there's a swarm of gay adolescents. <laughs> how, how do, do I, I get through? I, no, no. This is the, They're probably this on their way term. to like a Billie Eilish concert. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Yeah, there's a lot of places they could be. Um, so maybe you could tell us how to navigate through a sea of <laughs> gay youth. Ben and I are not terribly diverse. We share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we, but you know what? I'm going to switch it up because we're what? already talking about crowds. Let's talk about concerts. Okay. We both like music, but I like going to concerts and Ben doesn't really. That's true. I don't like going to concerts. Because it's too loud and there's too many people, he says. No. He also says he doesn't like festivals, but he does like Disneyland. And honestly, it's not adding up for no, me. No, I, okay. I see the contradiction there, <laughs> but I, I don't like loud music. Like I am, I'm a very loud person. Like my voice carries and I'm very easy hey, to Mike, hear. Could you turn his mic down a little bit? It's just excruciating <laughs> no. eardrops. I, that's very loud. <laughs> and when I am somewhere and the music is so loud, I'm like yelling at the person a foot from me. They can't hear me. I hate that. Uh, during the concert, you're singing along and you're dancing. Yeah. You're putting on your own concert. Yeah, I just don't like loud music. Anyway, I went to Taylor Swift last weekend and the weekend before. Oh, we get it. You went twice. I'm broke now, but I'm happy and a little bit depressed. Oh. Just because it was such a moving experience that it was over. I'm like, I'm just have to go back to my monotonous life after this. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I've really only been to a handful of concerts. It was really special. The first concert I went to was on a blind date with a woman. We went and saw a dashboard confessional outside in Ogden and it snowed on us. Wow. It was kind of magical. I didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I do love plays and musicals, but those aren't loud. I just don't like loud. That's my thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we would like to write a variety of voices and perspectives. So today we're joined by Molly Flake. Hello. Molly, it's so good to have you here. Thank yeah. you. So tell, tell us a little Give bit about you. Scoop. Who okay. is Molly? Molly. Okay. Um, let's see. What is interesting and exciting about me? So I'm bisexual. Um, I am a music education student at UVU. I also work full time as a pharmacy technician. Does that mean you count pills? I do count so many pills. I know a lot about drugs too. So you have like a really diverse portfolio. I know, like kind of strange. Music and pharmacy does not. Uh-huh. I know, it's weird. Do you play instruments? I do. My main instrument is my voice. Okay. Um, Can yes. you sing us a little something? something? <laughs> um, I don't know. You have to pay. <laughs> I do love concerts. I know you love concerts. Yeah. <laughs> Would you give up your voice to marry a prince? Never. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> A princess, maybe. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I would not give up my voice. Um, so you play yeah, other instruments besides the voice? Yes, yes. I play the piano, um, although uh, a little amateurly, and I play the cello as well. Oh, cool. Yes. That's really cool. Those are like yeah. the two best instruments. I love a cellist. Yes. They're so big. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, Molly, we're thrilled to have you on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And you were just in a production of The Lamb of God that your stake did that you were kind of like in charge of a little bit? I was your not in charge of The Lamb of God? I feel like that's a bold move. It was really good. It's the wow. second time we've done it too. Ooh, I know. Yeah. I was in charge last year. I was on the music, uh, the stake music committee. Um, but this year I was not in charge. My roommate was. And so I was involved. I was the narrator. So we're here today to talk about the gay adolescence and maybe we should define it. Yeah. All right. So there's this idea that when you are LGBTQ and you are a youth, you miss some developmental milestones. So for example, straight 
youth, they get to have crushes on peers and talk about those crushes. And they might even get to go on dates with them and introduce them to their friends and their family. Well, and there's like a whole manual about it. Like the For Strength of Youth has a whole dating section that's yes. like, this is how to do it properly. This is how to grow with yourself and set boundaries and understand consent. Mm-hmm. Um, but LGBTQ people don't have that. Yeah. And, and so for people from my generation and older generation, if you will, we also didn't have representations of, of queer people in the media mm-hmm. or not very many. And if they were there, usually just like, comical or really sad yeah. uh and so we didn't get those experiences those maturing experiences of of love and romance and and learning the difference between like infatuation and love and so people who come out later in life have to go through all of that and learn all those things so they're like teenagers or adolescents but they're adults yeah they're like operating in an adult world with the it, it's interesting it's, it's like the idea that in some ways you like grow and develop completely normally and like into adulthood but the areas that are um, um, like suppressed because of orientation or shame, those areas never get to grow. And then so there's this juxtaposition of being in an adult world with aspects of your character and development that are really underdeveloped and that can create um, unsafe situations, awkward situations. Um, yeah, and that's the catalyst. And you miss red flags. And like I said, you don't understand the difference between love and infatuation. And if someone shows love to you, then you're like, oh my gosh, this person loves me. Therefore, I have to do all these things to prove my love. Otherwise, they'll leave me. Yeah. Um, so like, we can oh, basically, yeah. it can be dangerous. So we're going to talk yeah. <laughs> about like the dangers presented and kind of how to move through that as an adult when you, yeah. you have thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting because I, um, have only started the coming out process really within the past couple of years. How old are you now, Molly? I'm 26. Yeah, so I came out to my parents about a, almost a year ago. I should look up the date. I think it's almost exactly a year ago. Wow. And I had come out to a couple of friends before that. The first time I really came out to myself was in 20. I remember the day it was 2021, um, in June. And so it's been really tricky navigating this this area of like exploring this new sexuality, um, especially as like. A mature adult who's been like I've done a lot of development and all of a sudden this whole new like aspect of myself is like opened up and you kind of feel like an idiot huh uh, yes oh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so hard because I really like to consider myself this like mature Competent, person yeah. yes and then all of a sudden all of a sudden I'm like in this situation where I'm like tongue-tied and saying awkward stuff and like it's just it's it's painful you know I feel like a teenager so for me if it's okay if I share. For me, it was a little bit difficult because when I was first, when I first came out to myself, it was like, oh, I'm bisexual. But which I will say being bisexual is difficult because I feel this like uh, pressure or duty to like make the right choice, you know, because I can still fall in love with a man and get married in the temple. And so I, I came out to myself and I was like, ah, I'm bisexual, but it, it doesn't really matter because I am going to marry a man. So I don't ever have to tell anybody. And then slowly I began to realize that I was like withholding pieces of myself from the people that I love the most. And so um, I began to, you know, come out to more people. But even then, like when I came out to my mom, I was like, I'm bisexual, but don't worry, mom, like I'm not going to be dating women. And and same with several of my friends who I know are a little bit more conservative or a little bit more uncomfortable with, you know, gay stuff. Um it was kind of uncomfortable to like be like, oh, I'm I'm gay, but don't worry, I'm not gonna act gay, I'm not gonna be gay, and then all of a sudden that that shifted for me, and so it feels 
you like set yourself up for failure. I did. I, it feels uncomfortable. And I know a lot of people have had this same experience as members of the church and also members of the queer community. Oh my gosh. I had the exact same experience where I was like, I'm gay, but I'm going to do only church things. And then I was like, actually guys, I like this guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's so uncomfortable to like, have to be like, it's like coming up twice. Yes. And it feels like, yes, like I'm gay. And also I'm actually gay. <laughs> like I'm going to like kiss girls and stuff. And I think that, um, it's tricky to be holding all this pressure while also like this pressure to be like righteous and covenant keeping while also trying to understand and explore this sexuality. Yeah. And there's added layers of shame. I remember the first person I came out to was my cousin, Rachel, and that was a really difficult conversation, like so hard. And then three weeks later, I had an even harder conversation. I, I told her that I had a crush on a real life person and like it was harder the second time. Like it was harder to admit that it was like a real person for me. And it was so funny because I was like, she's gonna hate me, which is funny because three weeks before she was like, it was perfect, right? Yeah. And she was like, that's what you were telling me? And she's like, you told me you're gay. Of course you have a crush on someone. I was like, what? Like crushes are real? Cause so I feel like in a church context, so much of it is like the identity piece that once you like wake up to an actual attraction or let yourself get there, it's, like a whole new like freak out almost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely yeah uh so you know everyone knows that i dated this guy jordan and i told this story in my book um there's a whole chapter about him and I, I told it in like a really um safe way like a really really um palatable yeah uh, and th that was on purpose and when jordan read it he said that i was too kind to him which was true um, and I just want to give an example of like what the gay lessons was like. So he was the first guy I really liked. And I was in my, I was 29. Uh, he was also in his twenties and, uh, he never dated a guy. I never dated a guy. And so when we like started to love each other and like, like verbally say like, I love you. I want to spend my life with you. Like all, all that stuff. You said that to him? Of course I did. <laughs> I didn't know you said that to him so soon. Uh, so I had known Jordan for a while, but then once we like admitted that we liked each other, the, so we'd already... Wait, that's wild. <laughs> no, no, I feel like that's so serious. Well, I told the story in my book where before we'd even come out to each other on midnight, like at, after midnight on New Year's Eve, he told me he loved me. But it was like, a, I thought it was like a bro way, but I was like, right. oh, oh, that feels good on the inside. Somebody uh -huh. just like Cute. kept saying it. So once I was like, I like you. Well, I didn't know it was like, I want to spend my life with you. Yeah, totally. No, so dramatic. I, I was, I was all in. We talked about if he would wow. take my last name even. Are you kidding me? No. What's you were more serious with Jordan than I was with Ryan after like many, 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 many months. Look, look, I was like, yeah, adolescent. I, I jumped a lot of, uh, jumped really quickly. I was like, this, right this is the person I'm going to marry. Okay. And we weren't even in the same state. Like this was all, um, on the phone and on Skype, which is what we used to call zooming. And so, so then after like five months of this, like us talking all the time and being in love, I came up to Utah for a work thing. And I stayed at his house and I set all these ground rules. I was like, we are not going to do this or this or this, but we can do this and this. Like I had set these rules and, uh, and he immediately started pushing against what I like the, the boundaries I had set. And one thing I did not understand at the time is you can both want to do something and not want to do something. Mm -hmm. And so I had told him I didn't want to kiss him. But I, I wanted to, but I had made the decision not to for like values reasons. And he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And after a few hours of that, it was late at night. We ended up kissing 
And that was not a good experience for me because I had set a boundary, but I also wanted to do it, but at the same time, I didn't want to do it. And Jordan has long since apologized for this. Um, it, you know, he was a kid. I, I was I was 29, but a kid. You yeah. were both kids. Yeah, we, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and so I understand why it happened, but at the same time, that was a really negative experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I immediately like regretted it happening. Um, but then we kissed again the next day and I was fine with it. So, um, but at the same time it was like, I, I, he, he pushed me in ways that I don't think someone who was mature would have. Mm -hmm. And also I let him push me because I loved him so much that I didn't want to disappoint him. Uh And that led us to do things that I didn't want to do. I see. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sorry that that was your experience. And that's an incredibly relatable experience. And I say it's a pretty mild experience. Yeah. Because um, it was just kissing, you know? As well. I mean, when I think of the gay adolescence, safety is the number one concern I'd have. Like, I immediately go to safety. And I'll, I'm I'm definitely going to come back to that. Um, but something I, I pulled from what you're saying is, like, infatuation for love. And this idea of, like, oh, my gosh, I have a crush, so we're going to get married. Uh-huh. That's very, very, very common. Um, And we see this in high schoolers. We see this in sixth graders who are drawing like Mr. and Mrs. on their notebooks, right? Mr. and Mrs. Charlie Bird. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Charlie Flake. Charlie Flake. And and it's it's like, if you can think of like, if if you're straight and haven't had to go through this, like when you're young, this is how it is. And then you have like your first crush and your first date and whatever. And um, there's just like this there's almost like this understanding that like who you date in high school may not be who you marry and that's okay yeah it's like for practice or fun or whatever i've i've seen a lot of um gay individuals first of all a lot of people don't want to date and a lot of people start like you were saying like i'm not gonna date and i have also seen that just realistically and i and i've said this before i don't want to freak people out but most people i know have been in a scenario where they like someone who likes them back and they're both LGBTQ. And then it presents a lot of like stressors, right? Um, so I'm just, I'm being practical here. Like people date when they're gay. People fall in love when they're gay. Shocker. And it's important to talk about the safety. Cause like, I don't know. I just, there's so many approaches where people are like, just don't date, stay in the church. If you want to be safe, it, like, like almost like a super, super abstinence mindset. But the reality is people date and people get into really dangerous or bad situations very quickly because of the adolescence and like there's no family support or anyway, like I'm going to get on a lot of soapbox during this episode. Or because okay. it's secret and they can't talk to anybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So one thing just that you reminded me of is I've met so many couples, gay couples who have met young and they're like they kind of like trauma bonded over i'm gay mormon you're a gay mormon too and then that has like turned into love and they've confused um feelings of like love and longevity and respect and consent and everything for just like you're the only person that exists and gets me so i'm latching to you Mm -hmm. and it's like this emotional attachment based out of trauma and i know so many gay couples who have been married very young and have been divorced after two or three months because it's just like the gay adolescence, mm-hmm. right? Or dating or moving in together or whatever. Um, so that's like something to be aware of for the individual and for a family member who might be watching this happen. Yeah. Like quick side note, and I want to hear your stories too, Molly. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a friend and he had, 
met this guy on on Tinder or something, and and we were talking, and he's like, "I love him. We're gonna get married." We've already talked about. It. I was like, "Great! Like, how 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 long ago did you meet?" And he was like, well, "We met on Tinder a few weeks ago." I was like, "Oh, what was your first date like?" He's like, "Well, we haven't met in person yet." I was like, "Well," <laughs> and, and 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 honestly, like like we talk about this, like, "Oh my gosh, like how could that happen?" But this is a very normal process. So common. It, yeah. It's it's just part of the process of like like emotionally maturing as as a human being who is starting to have romantic feelings for people that they're they're attracted to. Yeah. Yeah. Um for me the gay adolescence has been really tricky because I mean it is for everybody. It's been tricky because I still don't really I'm not very resolved about what I'm going to do about dating. Like my goal has always been not to date and then all of a sudden this person came into my life, a girl who really liked me and wanted to uh maybe not date per se but wanted to make out, you know, and wanted to like be together. And um, because that was so exciting and so enticing to me, I, 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 and because it was also a little bit secret, like not a complete secret, but we're not super telling people, you know, and also because we're already breaking the rules by seeing each other. I, I didn't know what boundaries I could set as far as what I could ask for. And I accepted things that I never would have accepted for, from a man, you know, for example, she was she was seeing other people but still treating me like a girlfriend in a lot of ways and that was extremely painful to me but i felt i felt like i couldn't ask for like us only because we didn't want to date because that's against the rules with the church mm-hmm. um yeah and and i'm still an adolescent i'm still learning you know and that's like anyway it's really uncomfortable to like go through that experience but that was like the biggest thing is i realized i didn't know what i could ask for and i didn't know um I didn't know anyway I didn't know what I could ask for so, well, that. looking back what would you have asked for I don't know I think that's a good question this is very recent by the way <laughs> I'm a baby gay <laughs> a baby gay in this dating world I think uh, maybe something I would have asked for was um a little bit more respect as far as like uh discussing the other people that she was seeing and also I think I would have asked for uh more friendship versus like romance yeah a theme i'm seeing in both of your stories is like self-respect and consent yeah and it sounds like both of you were in the situation where you like knew this was not okay with you but you wanted it and you were trying to bend to the other person because of a lack of Mm self-confidence and emotional vulnerability well because when it's the first person that you like really love who says they love you too or lesser feelings even sure um it's like well i have to do what they want yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, because this is my only option it's an uneven power dynamic it's it's such a vulnerable position and that's where safety is going to come really like that's why I, i just always come back to like safety we have to keep people safe if they're emotionally vulnerable and growing up as gay, just in general, there's shame attached to it and negative self-talk and poor self-worth and growing up gay in the church often like expedites that and expands on that. And so we have the situation where these people who like me going on dates when I was with girls in high school with like the first strength of youth as my guide, literally so easy. I was just like, but then like me going on dates with someone I'm actually attracted to and there's an uneven power dynamic. And I feel like, like you were saying, like you have to bend to someone's will in order to be worthy. Like as gay people, we're always, try- we're always trying to prove our worth. That's like the number one coping mechanism is 
overexertion and, and fawn, right? We talked about like fight, fight, freeze, or fawn. Fawn is the idea that you're always trying to please and placate the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense that we would carry those same things into a relationship scenario and and give too much and be taken advantage of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, talk to us about the secrecy of all this and how that played into your experience. Uh, that's what I, I, I want to preface by saying that I am extremely lucky because I have um, parents who are very, very supportive of me. And so I did like call my mom and cry to her at least once a week about this situation. Um, But I didn't want to talk to my friends about it because they were judging me for stepping into this situation. And I don't, I don't really know if they were judging me for the situation or because it was a gay situation, probably both, you know? Um, and I, Molly, think, I would never judge you for any situation. Oh my gosh, Ben, that's so nice of you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I think also like, um, church and like having to be discreet about it in that community. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit cautious with what I say, but going to church and feeling like I have to be discreet about my relationship it it put this um weight on me and i felt like i didn't have as many resources for like dealing in healthy ways with this also like some family members who i normally would have talked to about this the whole the whole time were really um unsupportive and it made it so that i i i i just kept it secret yeah talk to us about what it was like talking to your mom about this Um, um Mom, if you're listening, my mom does listen to your podcast, by the way. Hello, sister. Glad she's, <laughs> she's a sweet angel and perfect and amazing. I, um, I bet she has beautiful red hair. Uh, she has white hair now, but yes. <laughs> okay. Do you think I have a redhead? Uh, I, I call you a redhead. I call you a strawberry blonde. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's great to know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who's a redhead and he doesn't think I'm a redhead. Anyway. Johnny Bowers. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that's because he's <laughs> such a redhead. <laughs> we, we argue about it all the time. Anyway. It's um, a spectrum. It's, <laughs> Johnny, it's a spectrum. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, my mom uh, was so... It was... Okay. At the risk of being a little too vulnerable, I've always had a really hard time confiding in my mom about, like, relationships because I was molested when I was a child mm-hmm. and that, like, really severed the connection that I had with her and I felt like talking to her about these kinds of things were not safe. And I'm I didn't sorry. even... Yeah, thank you. I didn't even tell her about that experience until I was an adult. And it's been really difficult to like overcome this, like this, like preservative instinct. Cause I was told as a child that like talking to your parents about talking to your guardian, guardian about something like this was like unsafe anyway. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time in my life that I really like made an effort to reach out to my mom about something like this. Which is really brave. So, uh, I, and if you knew my mom, you'd be like, not, it's not even brave. She's like so perfect and sweet. Like, why are you even scared? But it really was a big test because my mom, if my mom had reacted negatively, it would have been really devastating. Um, but I remember the first night I called my mom and this was after I found out that this girl liked me. And I said, mom, this girl likes me and I can't be with her because of the church. And I like her more than I've liked any guy ever. And my mom just cried with me. And I think it was so helpful to be able to just call her and tell her about whatever was happening in my relationship. And she was a little bit cautious because she was like, this girl is like seeing someone else while she's seeing you. And that makes me really nervous, you know, but she was never like, 
this mom, girl mom had an, a normal adolescence she could see more clearly what was happening exactly yeah. yes but she never i think the difference is i brought this situation to another friend and they were like you're stupid for accepting this whereas my mom was like i would encourage you if you're wanting this to pursue it but be cautious and she never and so i never talked to that friend after that i mean i mean i still talk to them but like I never turned to them for like guidance, you know, because I knew it was stupid, but I wanted what I wanted, you know, and it just made me feel like it made me feel like an adolescent for her to say that to me. Whereas my mom was just accepting and and cautious, but never like judgmental. judgmental. Yes, I, I've noticed a, an incredibly troubling trend where members of the church, even if they're supportive of an LGBTQ person, like conceptually, when the person and if, if and when the person starts dating or starts liking someone and wants to kind of explore that um, for fear of condoning sin or for fear of doing the wrong thing or social implications, they'll pull away. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, really wholeheartedly believe that that is the absolute worst thing you can do. Um, because all that is doing is taking away a resource from someone in a vulnerable position um, and it adds to that shame and it, and it just, like, I, I think we know this, like secrets make you sick. If you're doing something in secret, you're not going to make it as good of decisions and it can take you to like bad, dangerous, unsafe places. And I want to share a story and I'll like give a trigger warning of, of sexual assault. Um, and I, I share this story because it has very, been very impactful for me, but also because it's incredibly common and I've seen renditions of this time and time again um so last year i was working with an individual in therapy and i uh, i will call him mason and mason is amazing like great student return missionary just a good good person um and he's gay and he had a lot of shame for it and um there was one time he he came into the the therapy session and like couldn't talk to me he just stared at the ground for like 25 minutes and you know i was trying to have let him have a space but also like obviously there was something going on and um he just started sobbing and for another 15 minutes he was just crying and then he told me this story uh, that harrowed me to my core so essentially he, he told me that a couple of weeks prior he was feeling really low he was depressed he was shaming himself he hated that he was gay kind of spiraling in these what-if anxiety-ridden scenarios. And um, he wanted to talk to someone, but his parents had been really unsupportive and he was scared of his roommates. And so Mason created an app on an anonymous dating, like app, an, an account on an anonymous dating app um, and didn't put up a picture. And he met somebody else um, who also didn't have a picture and was there anonymously. And they started chatting in the middle of the night. And they continued kind of this like, electronic relationship every night they would get back on the same app find each other and and talk and um for a while it was really validating because there was this person who accepted him um his orientation the fact that he was gay wasn't off-putting and this person was showing interest in the part of himself that he had hated for so long like his orientation was starved of love and when he was getting it it was you know, he wanted to move towards that. It felt good. It was validating. Um, <clears throat> so after a couple of weeks, they decided that they wanted to meet in person. And Mason was really afraid that somebody would see them out. 
find out that he was on a date. And so he was like, it has to be at night and let's just drive up the canyon. And so they decided that at 11 p.m. Mason was going to get picked up by a stranger who he'd never seen or talked to in person. And he didn't tell anyone where he was going because he was too ashamed. And they were talking and it was going well. And the, this other man who was much older than him started making physical advances. And it was really confusing to him because he was excited. It was thrilling. He felt loved. He felt interested in someone who had been hating himself for so long. You can imagine what that would be like if you're like... If someone has called you ugly, your everyone's called you ugly your whole life, and then one person's like, "Oh, I think you're beautiful," you'll move towards that. And in the same way, he'd hated his orientation, and someone was like, I, "No, I, this is the piece of you I'm interested in." So he accepted it, <clears throat> um, but the man kept going, and he didn't. Mason didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know about consent. He was so overwhelmed, and he just froze, and was horribly taken advantage of. Um. And as he was telling me this, I was just like, this, like any, any other way, like if he had someone to talk to, if he could have shared his location with someone, just at least like, like anything else, but this, right. Um, so he comes home and the guy thought everything was fine, but he was devastated and he stopped eating. He stopped sleeping. He didn't go to church. He felt so unworthy. He felt like it was his fault. He was really confused. And I just watched this beautiful soul become so damaged because he did not have a support line. And I'm sick of it. Like I, I see this happen all the time. I get thousands of DMs a day on Instagram. And many times it's people with similar stories. And they say, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who to tell, but I kind of trust you because I've listened to your podcast or whatever. And they say, this is what happened to me. And I feel like crap. And I hate myself even more. And I just like, guys, like we have to wake up. And we live in a world where return missionaries are coming home thinking they're going to make it work with a man or a woman and they're incredibly vulnerable situations. And many times at best, they become addicted to pornography and at worst, they become addicted to a person who is raping them. Like this happens all the time and it's because there's not social support and there's not people that have self-confidence and have been able to develop boundaries and boundaries and boundaries and consent and personal self-worth and values and i just like i like it i can't live in this world anymore like we have to do something about it yeah charlie this is an emotional thing for you to share of course <laughs> and 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 thank you for for sharing that I, I know that this is something you're really passionate about and and you know this all comes from a place of like shame and secrecy and hiding and like do we want so like so like if you're a church member or a church leader and a guy like mason's in your ward and says I have a crush on this guy. I want to go on a date. The first thing you're going to say is, well, don't do it, right? Don't do it. That's bad. He's going to do it, right? He has agency. If, if a gay person decides to go on a date, do we want them on a double date? Do we want them sharing their location with friends? Do we want them telling their parents who they're going to be with, how they met, where the person is, what time to expect them to be home? Someone to process and talk with at the end. Or do you want them hiding in secret in a parked car up a dark canyon? Like, oh my gosh, people wake up. We can't keep forcing this on to children. Mm -hmm. I have another friend um, who was invited to a party and a similar thing happened. And I said, why didn't you bring someone with you? He said, I didn't have anyone to bring. I said, would that have happened if you had a friend that just was along for the ride? Of course not. Like, like the worst thing you can do if a gay person comes out and starts dating is pull away. 
And like, it's like, I don't care about your condoning sin. Like people are getting raped and, and it, it's, it's happening. And I see it all the time. And I just, I can't believe we're in a world where we convinced ourselves that it's safer to pull away from someone when they're vulnerable. And it's safer to put them in a dark position and then say, well, you know, that happened to you because you shouldn't have gone on a date in the first place. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. I'm not going to accept that. Yeah. We, we need to do a much better job of, of being with people and their experiences so they can be safe. You know, when I have friends who are going to start dating, I say, call me after, tell me what happened. You know, I want, I want to hear about your dates. Like I want to hear what's going on so that these kinds of things, so I can be a support system for, for my friends that are in these situations. I think it's also important for people to understand what consent is and what that looks like. So if someone isn't getting consent that we at least know and have, and you can just say, Hey, you don't have consent to do this thing and, and effectively communicate. Cause it's, it's hard when you don't know, like with, with this, with, with this, with this guy who was up the can, you said it was, it was something he kind of wanted to do, mm-hmm. but he also really didn't. And it's confused. He'd never been there before. Yeah. He didn't know what to expect. And, and if, when we can understand, you know, that what those emotions are like, and the problem is, you know, had that happened when he was 14, he wouldn't have been able to go somewhere alone. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, but when you, but when you don't have, when you haven't had these maturing experiences, but you have adult resources, people get into a lot of trouble. That is the best way to say it. I remember I started dating basically when I moved to New York and I'm 25 at this time. And I was definitely a gay adolescent, had like the experience of like kind of a sixth grader. And it was so difficult because the resources are like a man in a big city that I've never met with an apartment. You know what I mean? Like in, in the expectation of like coming up and watching a movie or sleeping over, like all of these expectations that adult have in a regular dating world. And also it's interesting cause like we've created this world where gay people leave the church. Like you have to, right? Like that's like you either stay in the church and stay single or leave the church and date and obviously i'm pushing against that um because it's not working for me but it's like the the church protection layer does not exist and like the people dating outside of the church are like have expectations of what dating looks like and how to be an adult and it doesn't necessarily reflect um lds morals And then again, it's that idea of, oh, I feel like I have to placate this person because I want them to like me because it feels good to be liked. And I feel like I have to conform to this societal expectations of me, even though it's going against what I believe is self-respect. Yeah. Yeah. Molly, looking back on on your experience, how could those friends you you didn't feel comfortable talking to, how could people have helped you during this time where you were in this relationship that was a pseudo relationship? I think... I think a big part of it is um, not only acceptance, but like encouraging me to um, to be imperfect and to make mistakes. And I think, and I, so I, I'm, I'm saying this to myself as well. I think, and if there's someone listening who's in the gay adolescence and is feeling like maybe they want to try dating, but they're like terrified of it. I would just, I think it's so important to have so much compassion, whether you're the friend listening or listening, who listening to a gay friend or you're the gay friend, like so much compassion for yourself because we are allowed to make mistakes and do things a little bit wrong um, and step into situations that a 14 year old might find themselves in. Um, And I think the compassion makes you safer because then you're not ashamed and accepting things that are not okay. Also, I think 
um, understanding that I-, I liked what you said earlier, Ben, about like the confusion of like wanting something, but not sure if you're wanting it. And like, if we can like take away the shame and like understand that it's okay to want to kiss someone of the same gender, you know, and, um, and it, then you know where what you actually do want and where those boundaries need to be, what you don't want. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk more about that because that seems like a, a really common theme. Can you kind of dig into that? Like yeah, when you, you wanted to kiss Jordan, but you also felt like he was forcing it and you weren't sure if that's what you wanted. Yeah. Like that moment. You know, th- this is uh, like five years ago, back when I was a BYU student. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that same-sex dating wasn't allowed as a BYU student. And there was this guy I'd met who I thought was really, really cool, really cute. And he seemed to like me a little bit too. And we were hanging out. And then I acknowledged that I liked him. It was a very awkward situation. But anyway, the whole story doesn't matter. Uh, and then and at the, the, the end of this, he was like, at the end of this, he was at the end of the night when he was leaving, he was like, I would like to kiss you. And I said, no, thank you. And, but I super wanted to kiss this guy, like super bad. But because of this BYU boundary, I was like, I'm not going to do that. And, and he was great about it. But like, so like in that moment, I wanted to, but I also didn't want to. But because I'd had that experience before with Jordan, mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to do something that I would later regret. Yeah. And, and I think it, I, I, I wonder, had you not been at BYU, how that would have gone mm-hmm. and where you would have set your boundary. Right. Because, it's almost like people default to the church boundary and the church is always a safe boundary for them or the BYU boundary. And what I've noticed is as part of the gay adolescence is like, because like gay dating is like quote unquote off limits in the church boundary, there really is no boundary when they enter it. And it can be really dangerous because all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I did this. So whoop. And it's like, well, this is a sin. So nothing matters. Yeah. And people are attaching their moral compass and their moral code to the structure that they felt like kept them oppressed. And it's not coming from an internal place of like, what am I actually okay with? Me, not me with church pressure, not me on a mission, not me at BYU, not me based on what mom says I should do. Um, like, what do I actually feel like is comfortable and consistent and is going to lead me to feel like I had a meaningful like romantic experience that is not crossing my personal boundaries. Yeah. And like, and of course like two consenting adults can use their agency however they want. Like that, those are their choices. The problem is when someone is being pushed to do something that they don't feel prepared to do or don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think one thing that's important to know is that, uh, uh just because you want to kiss somebody doesn't mean that you want to have sex with them. And I think that was like maybe confusing for me to realize was like breaking one rule, breaking one rule as far as like holding hands or kissing a girl didn't mean that I had automatically broken all the rest of the rules and that I had to give up all the rest of the rules because if I don't feel okay with something else, that's still a rule for me. Just like what you're saying, Charlie. So often this is a trauma response. Yeah to repression Mm -hmm. and i know so many gay men who have been on their first date and done way more than they anticipated or ever thought they would ever possibly do and it's just like 
like I want to cry for them because like things that should be like beautiful and special and sacred with somebody you love are like they, like they feel robbed and it and it's interesting because like I was talking with someone and and they I, I don't know how like real I can be like you, maybe you, we'll just you've been pretty real maybe we'll just put a trigger warning but I <laughs> anyway there's I, I know someone who the same night he met someone who was his first kiss later that night they they had sexual relations and he was devastated afterwards because he didn't know what would happen had happened and he was terrified of STDs he didn't know anything about protection or anything like didn't know anything didn't know where to go get checked for STDs was ashamed to go to a doctor like all of it he was just spiraling and he told his mom and his mom said well you shouldn't have you shouldn't have kissed him in the first place that's why this happened yeah uh-huh. and again it's just like y'all we got to wake up because now we have this individual who's had a horribly traumatic experience based on a trauma response to repression and now they're like terrified and like need medical help but don't know where to get it or how and i just oh my gosh like this this is the stuff that keeps me up every night yeah and 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 this kind of stuff happens far too much in our community and no one talks about it far too much because like who else is this kid gonna tell yeah he told his mom and it went horribly wrong she shamed him for it Mm -hmm. so now he just lives in his shame and that's that's his coming out experience that's like welcome to the world of freedom where you're in a different cage yeah and and one thing i want to mention on a like on a similar but but different note is like i am not like i've never been like trying to date that i've never been trying to but i still have crushes on people and i will still like people and sometimes they'll like me back and i I'm like very much a gay adolescent still because I haven't had those experiences. And so I, now that I like know of this, I recognize that stuff happening. So this just like happens to people, even if they're not looking for love and romance. Exactly. So I'll give you an example. There, there was a guy in my ward a while ago. It was Eric. I'll just say it was Eric. But we were in an Elder Scrum presidency together and I really liked it like super bad. And and like after- Will, I hope you're listening. <laughs> it was many years ago. Um, and, uh, and, and I like asked if he wanted to hang out after and he did not, he had something else to do. And I drove away like from the church and I was just like, so sad. There's rejection. Yeah. I felt rejected. And as I was like driving and like, I've got pretty good self-talk. Like I talk through things with myself. And as I was driving home, I was like, Eric doesn't like me. What does that say about me? Mm-hmm. And then my immediate thought was absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and you were like 32. Yeah. <laughs> and imagine if you were 18. Exactly. Shish. And, and, and so this kind of stuff still happens, you know, and, and just to like understand that, that we are going to have these extreme reactions to people like with, with relationships where we have a crush on someone or they have a crush on, like, we're going to have these big reactions. And like, like what I've been trying to do like is just like mature through that without actively dating. And that has been like a, well, that's hard process. to do. Yeah. That's really hard to do because you're not like having the experience. Exactly. But I'm still like trying to do that. Okay. Something that you're talking about, Charlie, I, I think this just needs to be acknowledged. You're talking about a lot of these, uh, specifically you're saying mentioning gay men who go on dates and get taken advantage of. I, I just want to acknowledge that, this has happened to almost every woman that I know where they go on a date with um, a, maybe an older man and then they get taken advantage of in some way. And I think that just, <laughs> I think we need to talk about that. Um, I think, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the solution is. Communication maybe, but I think it deserves to be acknowledged that this is a, a battle that women have been fighting for ever, for forever. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I tend to... um 
like most of my experience my experience is being a gay man yeah and like totally that's who gravitates toward me yeah the stories um, that you hear yeah yeah i even remember one time i was on a date and i was not assaulted but i was made very uncomfortable and i i communicated clearly no to this man and he kept making advances to me and afterward i was shaking and like in tears and i remember talking to my friend my really good friend who was gay and i was like you know just like crying about this experience and he was like oh my gosh like i just realized that that has happened to me when on a date with a man as well and that like opened my mind to this experience that so many of us have had that we've we haven't talked to each other about yeah. it's dehumanizing yeah and it, it feels like when something like that happens you need to hide it yes um i'm wondering if if the common thread would be like uneven power dynamic um because because sure. i'm like i don't like it's not like men do this it's not like this is an inherently male thing to be sure. disrespectful of someone's boundaries um but i but i do think that a lot of times there's an uneven power dynamic in a relationship setting and a sense of an entitled entitlement as well so Ugh. Yeah. And we're vulnerable to it when we are keeping things secret or when we feel like we deserve less. Like after my date, ex that horrible experience, I felt like it was my fault because I hadn't said the right words or whatever. And that's very, very common when it comes to sexual assault victims. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people need to, you blame yourselves mm -hmm. and, and people need to be able to communicate that and have self-compassion like you were saying earlier yes. for that scenario and the way they acted in it um and have someone to process it with yeah a safe person who's not going to judge yeah. yeah yeah you know i so i teach this class on campus called understanding self and others colon, colon. diversity of belonging <laughs> um and we have a, a consent training every semester in my class i have someone come in to give this consent training um you know we only we only have 28 days the whole semester but I feel like this is important. I want them to know the resources that are available at the university as well. So that uh, if something does happen, there are resources, they know who to talk to, where to go. And uh, almost every semester, I have one or two students go up to me and talk to me about something that I didn't know what had happened was not okay. Like I didn't realize, I didn't yeah. realize I could, I could have done so that. So common. And, you know, reading a book about consent or like watching a video about it, like like really empowering ourselves with, with, with tools to know um, how, to, how to set boundaries is really important. I'm, I'd be interested to know, like, I know this is very prevalent among gay men. I'd be interested to know, like, what's, like, generally happening with gay women. Um, as far as, like, sexual assault goes? Yeah, or just, like, how does this gay adolescence appear in that context? Yeah. It, it, is it the same or is it different? No, it's, well, in my experience, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but in my experience, it's been very different. The person that I have dated that has been the most respectful of my my physical boundaries, at least, has been the woman that I dated. Mm -hmm. That has not been the case with men that I've dated. And, and another piece that I'm I'm thinking about, I almost wish this was like a live, so we could like pull like questions <laughs> yes, from other people. Totally. Just because I'm I'm wondering what the audience is thinking, and just <sighs> maybe if you're listening, you just need to like take a deep breath right now yeah. and like. Like squeeze a stress ball, yeah. <laughs> gurgle some salt water, I don't know. Um, but an another piece I was thinking about is just like the availability, like the social structure of dating when you're getting a member of the church. Whereas like take someone like my brother, if my brother was on some of these dating apps or trying to like find a partner at a bar, I'd be like, what are you doing? 
like hello wake up like your your future partner is not at the local bar for him like i don't know maybe she could be i'm not like it's not bad to go to bar but i'm just like, shaming people who drink no i'm not but i'm just saying like to meet his goals and the kind of life he wants like that's probably not the environment that's most conducive towards that right and so that what i would say to him is like talk to talk to people meet people be open go join community activities um talk to adults that you love and respect and say hey do you know anyone like if you're actually trying to date do it that way but i see again with gay men i don't know what's what's happening with um gay women yeah. but it's just like well i'm gay i better go to the gay bar because that's yeah. where gay people are yeah or well i guess i'm getting on tinder or grinder or a dating app and that's how i'm gonna find somebody else who's gay and i'm like oh my gosh we literally have like innocent naive return missionaries walking into bars because they don't have anywhere else to go. Mm-hmm. And that's their frame of reference for what it looks like to date when you're gay. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not gonna work. Yeah. I got more to say. Well, Molly, I wanna hear yes. like what you're gonna do differently next time. But like now that you've had this maternity experience. Oh man, it's so hard because I don't really know what I want. And I think that's what makes it so confusing in the gay adolescence. And that's what opens you up to being taken advantage of is you don't know what you want. And then you step into a situation and just accept whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't really have an answer for that. I don't know if I want to date women yet because it's easier dating women. It feels a lot safer, unfortunately, dating women. And women tend to like me faster than men do. But uh, it's against the rules, you know, and I don't really want to fall in love and and I don't really fall, want to fall in love with a woman. Well, I, I think if there's anyone listening who doesn't know what they want, the advice I would give is boundaries, 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 yeah. open communication with people you love and trust, yeah. and develop your own moral code separate. Like, like I remember when I was first coming out, and I was like, I, I've maybe I've just been blessed, and maybe it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, and I've been able to see people make more public mistakes, and kind of like avoid pitfalls. But I remember thinking like, to be realistic, like I hate even having this thought, but realistically, most gay men I know leave the church. And so one day I sat down with my scriptures in a journal and I thought, if I ever leave the church, who am I gonna be? Where am I gonna root myself? Where am I gonna ground myself? What is me separate from this institution, right? Religion, belief set. And I wrote that out and I was like, okay, this is me. These are core parts of who I am. And I have stayed in the church and I plan on continuing to stay in the church forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I did that though, because I feel like my moral code isn't forced upon me. It's from within me. And that has helped me move forward and avoid, like I've, I've literally so many times been in these situations where there was an uneven power dynamic and I felt like an idiot. I was like, how did I not see this coming? Like I'm alone with this man in his apartment. And I was like, and he's pressuring me like that's happened before and it's horrible. And luckily I was able to be like, uh, -uh, no, no. And one time I literally just like left and I ran and just like blocked the dude. And it was embarrassing, but like, who cares? You were like Joseph yeah. of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> Except he wasn't dating Pharaoh's wife. <laughs> and, and, and so like, I, I imagine like, what would it have been like if I didn't do that? Yeah. 
Charlie, as you were talking, the story that is related came to mind. Um, a few years ago, I was looking to buy a house and I had a realtor and like the housing prices were just like suddenly skyrocketing. And I was like, and, and houses were like on the market for like half a day. And then there'd be like 50 bids and they would go for like 50,000 over market, like over asking. And it was insane. And he's like, and he kept pressuring. He's like, Ben, if you don't buy now, this is your only chance. If you don't buy a house now, these prices are going up and you will never get to buy a house if you don't do it now. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's right. And I was like stressed. And I was like, no, I don't have to do that. This isn't my only opportunity. There's other options. Yeah, maybe it was, but I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. Still homeless. <laughs> uh, uh, still homeownerless. Yeah. Um, and I would love to put the homo in homeowner someday. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, but I think that a lot of people get into a place where they're like, if if I don't do this, this is my only chance. Mm-hmm. And, and you sitting down and saying, this is what my life will look like if I end up outside of the church. You know, I think it's very good for people to sit down and say, okay, this is what I want a relationship to look like. And I deserve this kind of relationship and I'm going to make, and I would rather be single than be in a relationship that doesn't fit these criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and honestly, like I was in a place back then with Jordan where I would have given up a lot of things because I really felt like that was my one chance for love. Yeah. And I, I maybe it was, I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye, love. <laughs> bye, bye, happiness. But I think that's part of the gay adolescence, this idea of this is the one shot I have. Mm-hmm. And we need to be smarter than that. Well, because it's a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. You think you're isolated and alone for so long and you find someone else who is like you. It's like, oh, that's the only one. Yeah. Well, I saw you nodding your head when I was talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just really relate. I think that um, speaks to a lot of our experiences. And I'm finding that I'm relating to the a lot more of this, not necessarily in my gay adolescence, but in my adolescence as a young woman that was dating men um a lot of times i felt like if there was someone who liked me that didn't meet certain standards that i wanted i felt like i had to accept it because that was going to be the only because that's what you were worthy of yes yes oh my gosh so well said yeah yeah and everyone is worthy of someone who is respectful and loving and kind and treats them like they're the luckiest person in the world to be with you yes But, but listen when you're gay though you grow up thinking the like being told explicitly that heterosexual relationships are sacred and divine and godly and that homosexual relationships are disgusting and perverted and gross and so you get to this point where you're like having a like a gay crush or entering like a gay dating world like what's the person how's the person going to view themselves are they going to feel worthy and divine and be looking for some sort of like higher deeper connection or are they going to default to this is perverted, this is gross, and so I'll accept it because that's what it's supposed to be. That's all I deserve because that's who I am. And it's just, it's so sad to me that these cultural currents are forcing these horrible situations onto people and saying that it's their fault, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to honor your divinity. Like you in high school dating someone thinking they're the only person who will think you're attractive Mm-hmm. That's awful, because mm-hmm. that's like discounting your worth. Yeah, you're a beautiful redhead. <laughs> a beautiful redhead. Get that, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Johnny. Yeah. Um, Molly, how did you get to this place of this is the best I can do to I deserve the world? Yeah. Oh my gosh, therapy. <laughs> Therapy's been so helpful for me. I really, I um, had my heart broken by a man when I was like, same. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. 
when I was, uh, I think, in my early 20s. And so just a couple of years ago. And at the time, um, I really believed that I could not be happy unless I had some form of him. And he was not interested in me. Um, but he led me on for a really long time. And I knew that the way he was treating me was not fair, but it didn't matter to me because I couldn't be happy without him. And then he broke my heart and I was alone. And all of a sudden I found happiness by myself. And I, and I, I just began to get to know myself and understand that my life can be so fulfilling and so wonderful and so amazing. And I don't need someone who treats me badly to, to have happiness. And, um, yeah, it took a lot of therapy, it took a lot of self-reflection and a lot of, um, healing to get there. Yeah. And I think part of like being an adolescent and you know, the, the scan adolescents we're talking about is this mistaken belief that I need another person to like complete me. Yes. Yes. And like you said, you found happiness being you. And then now another person will be additive to your life and yes. not the purpose of your life. Like a, yes. a yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause I, I often talk to people like, well, I won't be happy if I'm single. I'm like, well, if you can't be happy single, you're not going to be happy in a relationship. Yes, right. it's true. You know, another thing, what you're just saying reminded me, like, kind of like psychologically, um, people tend to gravitate towards people that make them feel like the coping mechanisms from early childhood. And so, what Say I mean, more about that. So, um, because of when you're gay, gay youth experience a lot of shame and do a lot of um, fawning, placating, that feels very comfortable because that's familiar. That becomes familiar. So having an uneven power dynamic, being treated poorly, and having to um, uh, overexert in order to fix that, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Overcompensate. Overcompensate for that becomes familiar and living in that like neurological mindset becomes the norm and it makes sense that in an adult relationship if that's happening that feels comfortable that feels like love Mm -hmm. because if your dad loved you and that's what love was to you but you had a bad relationship with your dad or your parent or whoever and that's how you dealt with it like that's like daddy issues right people say that's where it comes from it's the idea that like it's like recreating that because that's what's familiar and that's what's feels like love and that is something to be aware of yeah (laughs) can i share a story from my personal life yes i'm talking so much on this podcast (laughs) and i'm not trying to commandeer i just really care a lot well a lot to say molly and i have had like one same-sex relationship so So far (laughs) so you guys are so adolescent so embarrassing we're we're just just we're little babies over here baby (laughs) um i want to talk about my first boyfriend and because I'm seeing themes and things. Charlie, like, I'm not ready for you to talk about our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing themes and like things I did well in areas where I was like, ooh, I was totally doing what you guys were talking about. Um, so luckily I had kind of already established what I was going for. I had established my boundaries. I knew what I was okay with, what I wasn't. I'd communicated that to my family, to myself, even to church leaders. Um, and also I decided that if I was going to date, I was going to date, like, like give myself the same day rules that I would expect like my brother to, to uphold. Right. And so that was really empowering. And I think that kept me safe. Yeah. And I think that allowed me to move slowly. Um, 
But I, I was having experiences where I felt like I was expected to do things. I felt like a lot of people wanted pieces of me, but not all of me. And that was really, really difficult. Um, it, it felt like so many people were interested in me, like physically and sexually, but not for like what I actually feel I offer to the world, which is like, I'm like charisma. <laughs> no, like, and, and like my spirituality, like yeah. there's so many pieces of me that felt overlooked and and that was a little bit um, deflating, right? Anyway, I, I ended up, um, I, I downloaded a dating app, which I, again, like if you're doing it, that's fine. I wouldn't recommend in hindsight, but I met this guy and he was so, so handsome. Like this guy was hot and I was like, wow. And sorry, Ryan, if you're listening, <laughs> skip a little bit. Uh, but I was Ryan's really also a good looking man. <laughs> Ryan is very attractive, more so than this person actually. Um, so if you're listening, <laughs> which he's not, um, but I, I was like, we, we made plans and I shared my location with my friends. I told my sisters, like I told everyone about the date and it was interesting because I felt like I couldn't, I felt like I shouldn't, even though like that my default was don't tell anyone. And I had to like actively push against that. Anyway, so we met up in Brooklyn and we went on a date and I was expecting it to be terrible because most of them were. Um, can I share more? Yeah. Can I share a backstory to this? Yes, please. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm sharing so much. I didn't anticipate saying any of this. Um, so prior to that, I mostly tried to date members of the church because I wanted to find someone who was like-minded and I've kept running into the same obstacles, which was on the one hand, I'd be on the date with someone and, and like occasionally they would like break into tears and start crying and say, I wish you were a woman and I shouldn't be doing this. I'm, and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, like, yeah. and then I become a therapist and it's fine, but like, I don't, I don't want, I didn't want that to be my relationship. And I was like, okay, like I apparently like dating active members of the church is like not a thing because <laughs> it's just I'm weird. I've always been weird. Like I've never known what to do with myself and society's never known what to do with me. I'm in the middle. Right. So I was like, well then maybe like someone who's ex Mormon and kind of understands the contextually yeah. and I would go on the dates with ex Mormons and they'd be like, man, I'm church in the general authority. And just like complain and be so bitter and crude about like people and beliefs that I love and hold dear and, and respect. It isn't everybody, but some of the, yeah, I'm nearly, it's not everyone, but I think it's less so now, but I mean, this is five years ago. Like yeah. it, it, it was hard. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to date somebody totally removed from this because there's, this is so loaded and I can't anyway, but then that was scary too. Right. Cause then there's all these other, it's so confusing because have compassion on yourselves and have compassion on yes. the gay people in your life. Yes. It is so hard and I'm alone in New York city. It's hard. Anyway. So there's I go like 10 million people there <laughs> and it, it's so hard to feel alone so. when you're surrounded by people. Yeah. Anyway. So we're on this date and it, surprised me he was as attractive as his photos were he was fun he was respectful he was nice um like and there was i love an incident i love like something that has to fix and he'd forgotten his wallet and like you had to pay in cash and i had to like run to the nearest atm and like fix it and i just loved it it was like funny good and, drama, yeah. and good for the plot um anyway so we kept seeing each other and he was really nice and he um was um from um, India and he was like kind of raised Hindu, but I don't, I don't know what he like was right on the border of Pakistan and like he had a completely different culture. It was fascinating to me. Um, and he like lived in a cool part of town he was wealthy. 
He took me to Beyonce concert, oh, nice. which you know I love. <laughs> and, I'd rather not go. The music is too loud, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was amazing. But oh, concert <laughs> through line. Um, anyway, and I was spending a lot of time with him and texting, and it was so like it gave me butterflies and love songs making sense, and like we like found emojis that like represented us and became him. And I met some of like one of his friends, and it was just very like euphoric it was beautiful and I, I remember the first time we held hands um was at this park next to the riverside and riverside park no <laughs> it was in williamsburg um but like i was holding hands with a man and people around were seeing it and i was like i am free and like it, it was just like so this rush of emotions like i never thought this was possible and later like at the end of that walk we kissed and the same thing happened I was like oh my gosh like wow this is a dream you know and so I didn't realize that this was happening but I was falling in love with him but in hindsight I'm seeing that I was just falling in love with myself I was falling in love with freedom I was falling in love with New York City because he was he'd grown up there and knew all the places and took me to cool things and good restaurants and so I'm having these experiences that are attractive and desirable and that I never had before being a closeted kid from a rural farm town or Provo. Like it, it felt exciting and, and I loved it and I was infatuated and I was like, I love him. Like I'm, I'm falling in love. Oh my goodness. And luckily I have sisters and friends who were really supportive and I would talk to them and I think they saw red flags, but they didn't say anything. Kind of the, the same thing that your mom was doing. They're just yeah. like, well, tell me more. So for a couple months, that's how it was going. And then, you know, he was really respectful of my boundaries. And I have very strict boundaries, and I still do. Like, it is hard to date me. <laughs> and So I've heard from Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he never pushed me. And, like, if I felt like he did, I would say it. And he would be like, I am so sorry. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, one time I was telling Rachel, my cousin, this, and I was like, he never pushes me. It's amazing. And she was like, Charlie, I just want to offer the idea that that's like baseline being a good person. And you're talking about yeah. this as if it's some extravagant, grand, like he's the singular best person in the world. But that is baseline, Charlie. That is not what you deserve. And then, you know, we'd have a lot of conversations about religion. I was going to church every week. And... Uh, one time we had this conversation and, and he is atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And that was is that what, what, is that what atheist means. It's what it means. Um, and he like kind of like took a critical stance, but he wasn't like as critical as the ex Mormons had been, you know? And so I was telling my sister and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, like he's atheist. And he kind of made fun of me a little bit, but like also like he's cool if I go to church. And she was like, okay, again, that's baseline. And so they gave me the time to start realizing ways that we were very incompatible and that the love and the infatuation that I was confusing for loving him was actually me just gaining life experience and falling in love with myself. And I also realized that kind of the same thing I brought in with the Mason story, that there was this piece of my, my soul that had been so starved. And he was first and foremost interested in me because I was gay. That's like how I was introduced to him. And I realized that that was the thing that felt like love from him just because he was that and he was like feeding that that had never been fed and so after about like five or six months 
I realized that that, that wasn't going to be a good relationship for me. I started, like, I would sit in church. And I was like, could, would he be here with me? And it just like, wouldn't. And I was like, could I raise kids with him? No. And then I started realizing like, I've never met his family. I've never met really any of his friends. Every time we hang out, we're alone. I'm hiding this. Is he hiding this? And I was like, there are so many red flags and I see them now. And I broke up with him and I felt great about it. And I am so grateful for that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought he was the only one at a time. And then like, I found someone who is all of those baselines and equally are more attractive, but like way, way better. And like fills my like spiritual needs and emotional needs and has a family that I connect with and feels like my family. And I'm, I'm glad that I was able to move through that experience and learn those things. And I'm glad that there were people in my life I could communicate to that didn't shame me or make me feel like I needed to hide. And later down the road, we're able to say, Hey, just look over here. And I was able to gain enough control and self-confidence to say, Oh, you know what? I didn't see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what's important about that experience too, is that you didn't come out of it and think, Oh my gosh, I had my first failed relationship because it was gay or whatever, blaming it on blaming it on being gay. I feel like coming out of this really my relationship that I've had, um, I've had a couple people kind of indicate to me that it I'm heartbroken because I brought I got my heart broken because I stepped into a gay relationship. That does not mean that it was a failed experience. And mm -hmm. just like you said, like that experience, that's life like it experience. Didn't work it was wrong. Yes, yes. It didn't work. It's not that it didn't work because it was gay. It just didn't work because you weren't compatible and you had to learn that. And now it's adding value to your future experiences. For sure. Yeah. We, we've talked a lot about the importance of sharing our lives with people, you know, talking to friends and loved ones about what's happening in our lives. What should someone do if they don't have someone like that, that they can trust? Find someone and you, you find people by stepping up. Like yeah. you, you have, like you have to come out. You have to put yourself in the position to find a like-minded person who's going to support you. And it's scary, but it's the only way. It's like it's like jumping off the high dive. It feels like the only way to experience the euphoria of jumping off the high dive is to actually jump. And there are people who are going to accept you and love you and be supportive of you. It's easy to, when you're alone, it's easy to believe that there aren't people out there, but that you will find, you will find friends, you will find like-minded people who will support you. If possible, I would suggest to make it someone you already love and care about and have an existing relationship. Yeah. A lot of times, like I said, people will default to somebody else who's gay and is in the same position. And then that trauma bond starts and then that same gay yeah. allison kicks in for both people and kind of ends in disaster often, yeah. which disaster causes more, you know. Um, so instead, like make it a stable, consistent person that you already know, or someone who's like removed from your orientation or like attraction zone. Yeah. Cause that's just going to be a lot healthier to process and be able to move through things. Yeah. And like when I worked as a therapist, like, yes, I would love for my clients to like share everything that's happening. And like as a professor now at BYU, like I would love for my students to come and talk to me about, you know, their, their dating experience. Like, like I want to be a safe place for them. And so I, I hope that people can always find someone that, that, that they can trust, who they can just share what's happening in their lives and that can be received. Mm -hmm. um, ben, I'm wondering, we've talked so much about how the gay ad adolescence impacts relationships and dating. How does it impact you when you're like away from that, like single? Yeah, um, I'd say the way it most impacts me is I'll like, I'll 
I don't have crushes on a lot of people. It doesn't happen very much. But when I do, it's like suddenly intense. I'm like, oh, I want to marry this person. And I'm like, no, that's ridiculous <laughs> for at least four reasons. <laughs> Maybe five. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, but but now like I, I realize when that happens. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, no, well, this is, this could never happen. Like, I'm not going to, like, I want to pull myself away from this relationship for, like, because it could never lead to marriage. I'm like, well, that's also ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And and so that's the way it impacts me. It's just like the these polars of like, this person is like I'm going to spend eternity with this person, or I'm never going to talk to them. Yeah, it's like this huge pendulum. Yeah, yeah. and just like le- like noticing that happening and be like, this is ridiculous. Like I am being ridiculous, and just like having that self talk with me about like being ridiculous. Yeah. Can we can we talk about a little bit about like the discomfort of understanding like who you're attracted to, and I don't maybe it's different. You're bisexual. Yes. I was going to bring that up because, like, I imagine there's a lot more confusion there. So confusing. I, I still don't understand, like, platonic love versus romantic love. I feel like I could pretty much fall in love with anybody if I liked them enough, like, their personality enough. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, is that different? I mean, that's what people say we me. should force with women. Uh, I mean, yeah. plus, that, that seems lovely. <laughs> Very different for you guys. Okay. I, like, I... I wanted to say I had a, I even had a conversation with a friend of mine. She's a very good friend. We both kind of came out to each other in the same time. She's also bisexual, and a lot of times um, people have asked us if we're like a couple because we have this like energy, and it was like so anxiety inducing for me because I was like, well, she's beautiful and like awesome, and I totally like could kiss her, you know. I know who you're talking about, and she has all of those things. She is wonderful and so cool, and. We had to sit down and have a conversation because it was, it was actually after you asked us, Ben, <laughs> why Oops. we had never hooked up. And I was I, like... That's that not what I said. I did, not say, I did not say, why have you never hooked up? That's okay. not what happened. What did you say? <laughs> you said, why haven't you ever gotten together or something like that? Yeah, but it was probably more like... I a, have permission from her to share this one. <laughs> it was probably something like... Knowing Ben, it was some sort of like LOL joke. Yeah. No, it totally was. It totally was. But like, it's like... <laughs> ben is so red. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been exactly what I said, but I would have said it as a joke. Okay, well, no, yeah. the tone is important. Yeah, but it was so uncomfy because we like we both kind of wondered, you know, and never like talked about it, and so we had to sit down and be like, "Do we want each other?" You know, and like, are we, it almost felt like I felt like I was obligated to try dating her because I found her attractive, and that and therefore that means that I'm attracted to her. And it's so confusing because I actually like, since we, we had that conversation, we're like, we, we've been friends for a really long time when we've never wanted each other. And I think that means that we don't want to date each other, which is so obvious, That's but mature. like, it's confusing yeah. because anyway, at, like, I think of her as like a sister, you know, like a sibling, but it's also confusing because it could easily not be that. Mm-hmm. Is that not an experience for you at all? No. No. Like, it's, but, is it pretty clear when you're attracted to someone versus not? Yeah. For me, uh, for me it is, but I'm, I'm sure you're speaking to tons of people who have similar experiences. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, people. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Molly, your experience with, with, with your friend, I, I think, is really common. Like, do I like this person? Do I not like this person? Yeah. And, you know, here we're not telling people, like, like go out and date. Like, we're not telling people what to do. Um, but I think it's important that people live value-driven lives. And like, I'm living my life in a value driven way. Like I've chosen to stay single and that's working for me. And yet, even with that choice, I still have crushes on people and I still have to deal with that. And, and I am not fully mature enough to deal with them in healthy ways. 
and I'm learning to be mature. And so I think, you know, the reason this, you know, we've been talking about this from a dating context for the most part, but I think it's important for people to know, you know, what it's like to be in these immature spaces where you like someone, because it just happens. Like we just naturally are going to like people, even if we're not looking for it. I, I also just want to mention, it just reminded me, one of the most isolating things about stepping into like a romantic relationship with a woman for me was feeling like I could no longer talk to God about it because I felt like if I asked him about it, he was just going to say no. And if that's an experience that uh, anybody anybody listening has had, um, I just want to say, like, I just want to acknowledge that and, like, like the thought of no longer having, like, a heavenly parent who loves you or is proud of you um, is, like, was devastating for me. And I don't believe that that's true. And I just want to check the punch. I'm so glad you brought that up. The idea of I don't even want to pray about this or in, I don't want to involve God in this aspect of my life because what if he says yes and what if he says no? Yeah. And so it's better to just not know. Yeah. I like always involve God. Yeah. Bring Christ into it. Ask God, have the spirit and move forward that way. Like, that's beautiful. That's yeah. a great note to end on. Yeah. yeah. Well, can we end on one funny note? Yeah. Is it better than trusting God? It's you funny. Th- you're going to one up my end note? No, no, no. That's a good way to end. I just want to end on like a light note since this was a pretty heavy episode. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Let's go. But yes, always trust in God. <laughs> um, so I know Molly through our friend Austin, and Austin has been on the podcast. He's on the Pride Flag episode. Yeah. Um, and Austin also checks the questions in the closet email. So Molly was a listener. Yes. And well, you can tell the story. Yes. Okay. So this was after the episode, Charlie, where you shared about your relationship with Ryan. And that was a very emotional episode for me. I had I had not c- come out to anybody yet. I'd come out to like, to my friend, and that's it. No, I had no plans to come out to family, and I was really feeling super alone. And you were both so vulnerable with each other and um, shared really beautiful spiritual things, and it made me emotional. Anyway, so I emailed you at the end. You were like, "If you have any questions, email this this email." And so I sent it an email, and it was just like. Um, I, I'm a gay Latter-day Saint, and I feel really isolated and alone. I'm really grateful for your uh, you sharing, sharing your experience. So she thinks she's talking to us. I thought I did. Well, I didn't care. I mean, I figured you had some kind of like, you know, someone checking the emails, but I didn't think it would be my close personal friend, <laughs> Austin. Oh, <no. laughs> who, who also who wasn't out to Molly at the time. Out. That's hilarious. Yes. And so all of a sudden, Austin is like reaching out to me and is like, you need to come over. Come on. Let's get a Disney movie night, you know. And I'm oh, like, wow, Austin's so obsessed with me. Anyway, it's so that I come like, over. Austin wants to date me. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. No. And so he, Austin keeps reaching out to me. And so I finally come over and we have this evening. And I I actually came out before um, before Austin even got to the point. But Austin starts telling the story about how he starts becoming friends with Ben. And then he's like, and Ben was just so overwhelmed with the emails. And I was, and like, and he was like, and Ben like asked me and I like gasped. And I, was like, I was like, wait, Austin. And he like looked at me and like started nodding. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. And I just want to say that it was actually like really powerful for me because I felt as I was like accepting my sexuality, I felt like I was kind of turning away from God. Like by choosing to accept more of myself, I was like rejecting what I had been told my whole life, which in my mind that that represented God. And all of a sudden it, it felt, this felt like this was not a coincidence to me, you know, this felt so like, um, like there was a divine hand in it. And, I, and that was the first time that I was like, maybe God wants me to be a bisexual. Maybe God is cool with me connecting with people about being bisexual. Anyway, so it was actually a 
really powerful. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah, so that, funny. So that's how Molly accidentally came out to her close friend and yes. didn't know it. And didn't know it. And he came <laughs> out to cute. you as a result. And now that's cute. Yeah, it's really sweet. And God loves you a lot. Yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you, Molly, for being on this very vulnerable episode with us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And to the listeners, drink some water, take some deep breaths, yeah. and thank you for letting me share things that I'm passionate about and are on my heart. And uh, hopefully I didn't scare anyone off. <laughs> Love y'all. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Questions from the Closet, or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We're not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until Until next time. time.